Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our passage from Acts describes a scene um, going on in Jerusalem. There were thousands upon thousands of individuals who had traveled into Jerusalem and gathered there. And it was in celebration of a Jewish festival known as Pentecost. And like I said, there was this huge gathering, thousands upon thousands of people. It looked a lot like if you've been in Tuscaloosa on a game day. It looked very similar to that, just people everywhere. And in the midst of these crowds, the Apostle Peter stands up and he decides that he's going to preach a sermon. Um, and it ended up being a very, very famous sermon. And at the end of the sermon, we're told later on in Acts 2, if you continue to read past what was just read, we're told that the people, upon hearing Peter's words, were cut to the heart. They've been convicted. And 3,000 of them, were told, repented and were baptized. 3,000 people saved. Which leads someone like me, I'm sure it would leave Matt or Brandon or anyone else who's ever preached before, wondering what in the world did Peter do? What in the world did Peter say? I've preached a number of times, I've sat through a number of sermons, and I've never seen 3,000 people after one sermon, be saved. So, you know, that leaves us with the question, what what did Peter say? What was it about his message that brought 3,000 sinners to their Savior? What was the content? What was, what was the core of what he had to say? And if you look at the sermon, you know, rhetorically, it's, there's nothing too exciting about it. It wouldn't have you know, dazzled all the public speakers of the day. And it had a very simple message. If you look at verses 23 and 24, you see a very simple message that makes the core of this sermon. And Peter's message was simply this. Jesus Christ, the one that you crucified, and for whom, well, Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified by you and for you, is risen. The one who was dead lives. The tomb is empty. That was the core of Peter's message. He essentially preached a Good Friday and an Easter sermon. And so we, you know, looking back at the life of Jesus, we have the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Entering into creation, coming and dwelling among us. The creator of all things entering into his creation. And yet we're told we did not recognize him. We rejected him. I in my sin, you in your sin, we in our sin and rebellion rejected God. And we placed him on a cross. We, in our sin, were told in Peter's sermon, killed the Lord of glory. And if this is the end of the story, then we have a very serious problem. Because if Jesus is still in the grave, if he is not risen, if he is still in the tomb, it means a number of things. It means, one, this world is all that there is. It means this dark and broken world with its cruelty, its pain, its confusion, its loneliness... That this is it. If Christ is still in the grave, that is 
the inevitable implication. It means that our sin is not paid for. It means that we are not reconciled to God. It means that sin and death are two enemies still rule and reign over us. It means that this life with all of its problems are as good as it's going to get. It means that the grave always has the last word. And yet, this is not the conclusion to Paul's sermon, Peter's sermon. This is not the conclusion to this message that brought 3,000 sinners to repentance. It's not the conclusion of the Bible. It's not the conclusion of the Christian message. Sin and death do not get the last word. No, the one who lives, the one who died now, lives. The one who is crucified has risen. The pains of death, we're told, Peter says in verse 24, could not hold him. The grave itself could not handle the Son of God. Death did not conquer our Savior, but rather was conquered by Him. And so we do not have a dead God. We do not have a dead Savior. We have a risen Savior. And so we must ask ourselves, what are the implications? We've seen the implications of Christ is still in the grave. This world is all there is. We have no hope. There's no hope to be had. This is as good as it gets. All the sin and death and pain of this world remains, and it will continue to remain. But if He is risen, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for Paul's listeners? What does it mean for us tonight? It means that this cruel and dark world is not all there is. It means that sin and death do not get the final word. It means that this Jesus, the one who we crucified, has conquered sin and death and now reigns and rules over them. It means that if you will but look to Jesus Christ, if you will look upon the one that your sins have pierced, if you will look upon him, he will cleanse you from your sins, from your guilt, from your unrighteousness, and he will call you his own. It means that all who look to Christ, all who put their faith in Him, all who put their hope in Jesus Christ need not fear the grave. We have been set free by that tyrant. The grave no longer rules over us. And we're promised, those of us who look to Jesus Christ, not only that the grave is not the final word, but that we now have everlasting life in Christ. If He is raised, so too when we die, that is not the final word. We will be raised again with Him. And not raised into a world full of corruption and decay like this world, but raised into the new heavens and the new earth where pain and death and tears and mourning will be no more. And where all things will be made new. This is the core of the Christian message. We worship a crucified and risen Savior. And so let us rejoice this evening. As we sing, let us do it with all of our hearts because Jesus Christ has conquered sin and death. He has set us free from our two great oppressors. And He has promised us everlasting life. The Lord Jesus Christ is risen indeed. Amen.